Thank you, Peter, and good morning, everyone. My name is Andrew. I'm the Senior Minister of St Mark's. It's great to be with you here, whether you're with us today or online, watching now or later. I'm going to be thinking about the passage we just heard. It's good to reflect on this special day of Good Friday and what it means. And yes, the Lord does move in mysterious ways. You'll probably hear a bit more about the torn curtain in my sermon as well. <laughs> Never hurts to hear three times. Good memories, so thank you. Now, when I was a boy, I used to look at maps of the world, you know, big uh, maps on the wall with interest, and used to look, wonder about all the different places that I had never been. And one place that often caught my eye was this big island called Greenland on the Northern Hemisphere. And you never hear much about that on the news. I think Donald Trump wanted to buy it a few years ago, if I remember. But um, of course, now, Greenland, the more you know about it, the more you realise that Greenland is one of the least accurate descriptive names for any place in the world. Most of this island is covered by snow and ice for most of the year. Apparently, the Viking explorer Eric the Red named this place Greenland to encourage other people to come and settle there. Sort of like a 10th century real estate developer, you know, <laughs> literally. So it's stuck with that name ever since. It's... Now, I say that because, as we've heard, it's Good Friday today. And in terms of misleading names, Good Friday can kind of sound like it's up there with Greenland. Um, Good Friday is dedicated to the remembrance of the unjust death of Jesus Christ by crucifixion. That's not something I'd naturally describe as good, is it? But unlike Greenland, uh, Good Friday is not a cynical name uh, because the real reason behind the name of this day is that Christians believe that there is a hidden or opposite meaning at a deeper level between the story and the surface events of Jesus' crucifixion and a meaning that is good and is worth uh, celebrating. So the story, as we've just heard it in Luke chapter 23, is probably familiar to most of you. Um, what I want to do today is look at some of the ways in which this is a story where almost everything that happens has the opposite meaning of what it might seem to have on the surface. So the real story of Good Friday is hidden from those people who only look at the surface of what was happening. And it was at the time, of course, and it may be for many of us today. But Jesus, I think, encourages us to look underneath the surface to see what's really going on and to get to the good news of Good Friday. Now, the first thing we see of that kind here, I think, is the issues that come up of criminals and judgment in the passage. Now, crucifixion, we've, we've kind of made it a bit abstract over the last 2,000 years, but it was not a noble or dignified method of execution. It was designed to be a terrible punishment and de degradation and retribution for the worst criminals. Now, so Jesus, as we read here, is led out of Jerusalem to be crucified as someone who has been judged and deserving of brutal punishment under the law. And he is put up on the cross between two other criminals, we read. Now, so the justice system of his nation at the time has found him guilty and sentenced him and rejected him in this way. So on the surface, if you, if you were there, this appears to be the story, another story of a rebellious leader, another criminal who stands up against the law of Rome and gets what he deserves. But as we heard, Jesus says to the people following him, particularly the women who are so upset and crying, that in fact, what this event shows is this system that is crucifying him, the system that calls him a criminal, 
is itself actually under judgment, the judgment of God. That is the judgment that is happening here. So he says, you shouldn't weep for me. You should weep for the people who crucify Jesus because they are those by their actions show that they are ignorant and foolish and do not understand who God is. They are a long way from who God is. As Jesus says in verse 34, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. They think they know what they're doing, but they do not. So under the surface story then of this trial and execution, the kind of thing that happened regularly all over the Roman Empire at the time, is this profound injustice which shows not that Jesus should be judged, but that the world is in need of truth and its judgment. So by executing Jesus as a criminal, ironically, the world judges itself. And so I think the second place we see, this is the first place we see this idea of the hidden story underneath the story. The second place we see this idea of a hidden story on Good Friday is when Jesus is actually on the cross himself. So the people around him, we read, they sneer at him uh, about his claim to be the Messiah or the chosen one of God or the King of the Jews. They say, if you really were this, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be this kind of a failure on the cross, someone who can't save yourself from death. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. They say, or they believe, the real Messiah would be victorious. The king of the Jews, if he was so, would lead his people into victory and freedom from oppression. So again, on the surface at the cross, it appears that Jesus is not the Messiah and that his claim to be so is ludicrous. Even one of the criminals next to him gets into the action here and he insults him, saying, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Now, I always wonder about this man. He sort of seems to be one of the least self-aware people in history. Um, you know, you've got, I think you know, if you're currently being crucified, you've got to ask yourself... Is that the time to start a fight with someone you've just met? Uh, you know, you've got other things to worry about. I, I would just think about that. But, so, but he gets into it as well and he sneers at him. But the other criminal on, on Jesus' other side has insight. He, he actually sees what's going on. He says, Jesus is innocent unlike us. And Jesus commends that man. He says, you've seen what's really going on. Because Jesus always said, even before this, that being the Messiah is not about military victories. It's about a spiritual victory, a victory over sin, a victory over evil. It's about going through the sufferings of the world and to take them on himself to set us free. So being on the cross as an innocent man is the most Messiah-like thing that anyone can do. We can see the, um, this sort of the most eloquent picture of the Messiah or the leader of the people of God. You can find in, in the picture of what is called the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, for instance. For example, in verses 3 to 6, where the prophet, looking forward about the person who would save God's people, says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. You've got the only screen there. It says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we 
are healed. Even, even Isaiah foresaw that people would not understand what the Messiah was going to do. They would think that this was a judgment on Jesus. It was, in fact, the way that he took upon himself the pain and the suffering and the sin of his people. So Jesus on the cross is living out this old prophecy, taking on suffering and evil on behalf of the world. He appears, if you look at the surface, he just appears to be failing. But in that moment, he's actually succeeding in doing what he came to do. So, of course, he can assure this repentant criminal next to him, have faith, you will join me today in paradise. And that then brings me to the final hidden meaning that we can find in the story of Good Friday, because the reality that, under, the reality that underneath this event on the cross beyond the physical event there, is a radical change in the relationship between us and our world and the spiritual world and God's presence. So, as we've heard already, we read about what happens when Jesus dies. There are darkness that covers, over the, come, covers the land for three hours and the curtain of the temple is torn in two. And where is it torn in two from? The top. Yes. <laughs> as, when I normally tear my curtains, I tear them from the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to forget that one, Ellie. <laughs> so, and Jesus cries out as he dies, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Again, on the surface, this appears to be a somber, tragic reality. The religious leader, Jesus, he's dying in front of his followers. He dies, there is darkness and confusion, and the heart of the worship space in, his, in Jerusalem is torn open with this curtain. But we know from the rest of the New Testament, as people reflected and this story was told again, that, the, that these events are not actually the sign of a dark spiritual reality at all. Actually, hidden under this three hours of darkness, this torn curtain, is a glorious thing, which is the opening up of heaven to human beings and the beginning of salvation for the human race. And the key here, yes, is that the temple curtain is torn, and the curtain in that temple symbolises the separation between God's presence and human beings. Because of our impurity, because of our sin, we cannot get close to him. His spirit won't come and live in us. We never get close enough. There is a barrier. But as Jesus dies, the curtain is torn, and now there is a new openness between us and heaven. Not just in that place, but in every places and at all times. And so in his death, Jesus does enter into paradise. He enters into the presence of God the Father on our behalf. Later in the New Testament, the letter to the Hebrews speaks about the hidden spiritual victory of Good Friday. In many places it describes it, but we can read particularly about this in Hebrews 10, chapter 19 to 20, uh, verses 19 to 23 where the writer says about this event, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. This is what happened when Jesus died. 
and that is good news. So here we are on Good Friday, and I hope we can see now why it's good and why we call it good. On the surface, it's the story of the tragic execution of a man with an unjust trial and his death and failure among two other criminals. But underneath that, God's son is going into the experience of death and suffering on our behalf to open up a new way of life and salvation for all of us. That is the good news of Good Friday. On Easter Sunday, we're going to think more about what happens next. We've had that spoiled, but I think you probably know. We're going to think about the new life that begins here at the cross and how that open curtain between heaven and earth affects us now and gives us new hope and restoration. But today... Let's give thanks, as the writer to the Hebrews does, for what God has done for us in Jesus on his cross. Amen.